You're listening to Comedy Central. All right, guys, here we go. Thank you. Well, see, it feels like you're, like, taking off. Yeah. We're picking up some speed now. We're headed towards 3Gs. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) The sound you are hearing is me stuck to the inside of a human centrifuge as part of astronaut training. And I'm sitting next to a 17-year-old girl who spent her life trying to get to space. I've spent a lot of my life trying to get to space camp. And I'm actually here in this moment. Here's what they don't tell you. 3G's feels like shit. And when you turn your head, it's as if three people sat on top of your head. This is what astronauts would have to go through. Or what children who get to go to space camp go through. Or what I'm going through in that exact same moment. But I will come clean with you. I love space. And then I found somebody else who shared that exact same passion. And it happened to be the President of the United States. Donald Trump loves space. It might be the only thing we both see eye to eye on. That space is cool and that going to Mars might be fun. This was a little bit conflicting to me. But I do think there's something beautiful about dreaming big and as Americans trying to achieve that dream. So this episode was me trying to look at that idea. Can we make American space great again? Asterix. The asterix, all the things I don't agree with Donald Trump on. Today on the podcast, to talk about space and man's need to explore, we've got Bill Nye. But first, come with me as I tell you about my journey making America space again. This is Clapper. Space, the final frontier, and a place America has always come in first. This year, the Chinese were the first to ever land a probe on the far side of the moon. Next, they're planning on building a permanent lunar base and a manned mission to Mars. Meanwhile, what is America doing? They're handing over our rocket keys to a bunch of zany billionaires. I don't like it. I prefer my American icons to be humble, government employees with flags on their sleeves, earning minimum wage. I am on a mission to see if space can make America great again. Asterisk. And if it can, what will it look like? I'm here with producer Lucy Lesser, and I'm here with writer Russ Armstrong. Hello. Hey, guys. Hey. Let's talk space, shall we? I'm a bit of a space <laughs> nerd. You are obnoxious about space. Thank you. Not a compliment. Well, you I'm taking it as such. Well, I'll take it back. Uh, I'm you... still keeping it in the edit. <laughs> I feel like between First Man, I think you recently read, reread The Right Stuff, uh, that Tom Wolfe. Uh, and then uh, watched a limited release documentary that I don't know anyone else who had seen it. Which I don't a, know how you found it. it Apollo 11. It was, Apollo 11 is it was a documentary, and it was built entirely from archival footage. It's, it's amazing. Yep, and they, they released it at IMAX for a week. And I believe they're re-releasing it when uh, on the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, the moon mission. Which is this year, 2019, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. Uh, this is all to say you are an incredible space nerd. And would constantly walk into the office in the morning uh, just before anyone had asked you anything or any business has gotten done, you would just be immediately begin rambling about a lunar lander uh, and how incredible it was and the, the exceptionalism and, and the amount of like guts that it took to just get inside these tin cans and fire yourself up to the moon uh, and how many people just died in pursuit of this incredible goal. Uh, and then I think eventually we were like, we got to channel this energy into something. Let's, let's, let's let him do a space episode. <laughs> but it was cool. I, that, was, that was like a little bit of the origin of it. Uh, I, I loved space so much as a kid. You know, I went to Cape Canaveral. We went to like, we went to D.C. and Florida were the only two places we went to as a kid for vacation. And you would drive there from Michigan. Oh, yes. And that's, to drive to Cape Canaveral from Michigan, whether it was Cape Canaveral or just a parking lot, 
the buildup of that as a child must have been like, yes, of course I'm going to fall in love with this parking lot. We've been in a station wagon for 96 hours from Kalamazoo, Michigan. That's how, you know, it's it's all about the preamble, you know? Yeah, let's just build to it. So I loved Cape Canaveral. Uh, I I love space. And we talk about this in the episode, but it was it was... In in 2019, there are so many things that are depressing. <laughs> There's so many things that feel like they break your spirit. And I think it was a reconnection with that sense of wonder that it was like, oh, I'm hearing stories of, of like grandeur and of accomplishment that are like beyond imagination. It was like, oh, if I could boil that down to 22-minute television, you know, I think I will have landed on the moon. <laughs> this 22 minutes yeah. of cable was your moon landing. Exactly. Yes. I think so. Yes. Lucy, how'd you feel? This, this Were you as gung-ho as I was to begin with? No. <laughs> Shame. I was like, oh, let's do some stuff about, like, you know, equality and politics. Okay, and now here we now, to the, be fair, we have, eight up, up into, we have eight episodes. <laughs> no, I know. We have eight episodes and we have dealt with a lot of big issues. And we some, have. <laughs> and then I was like, space is the biggest issue, right? Sure. In, in size. In size. Yeah. It's actually not <laughs> an issue. There are no issues in space. But Just want to be clear. In space, the nobody, lack of in space, issues. space, nobody will hear your that, issues. Yes. Exactly. I quickly got on the nerd train. Thank you. Yeah. Once we started talking, <laughs> I have not read um, the right stuff. It's I've like, heard you talk about reading it. I feel like I, you, you know, by it. extension, yes. absorbed it. Great. Yeah, That's how good you're, about you're it. like an yeah. audiobook that no one yeah. would play on. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Again, thank you. But I like the idea of coming to a story where we could be like, oh, here's something patriotic that we, we can all get behind. No mm-hmm. matter who, what party you're in, no matter what you believe in, like, oh, this is something that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, and like pushing boundaries and like going further and extending, you know, and oh, real science, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bringing that back in. Yeah. Well, I think it was a funny, like, as we started talking about this, we found that like the president, he started Space Force, but also, yeah. and what was coming out was the story that he actually wanted to fund NASA to get to Mars by the end of his term, he which is- to give a bottomless pit of money to yeah. NASA to go to Mars. Yes, yeah. which- which is just amazing to think of way of the way this man's mind works, where he's like, you know what? If I could get if I could get to Mars, nobody could say shit. <laughs> or it's like that, and and he's probably right. Yeah. If he could be like, okay, <laughs> I started a race war, but also who up on the red thing? <laughs> we up on the red thing now. <laughs> like, what are you gonna say? You gonna? I'm, I'm like, all right, man, I'll vote for you. Yeah, all right, you yeah, guys. Yeah, like, that's you the, guys Mars the Mars guy. Yeah, that's the Mars guy now. <laughs> it did, it felt like a funny alignment of like, oh man, this guy he might stumble on something that actually a lot of people might get behind. Could actually have scientific benefits that. If you if you point a guy and his ego towards something that might have a fallout that helps other people on the way, like, oh my God. Make America great again? With caveats? There are definitely caveats. A lot of them. So you have to take it all into account. Fuck that dude. I know, but did you read the whole shirt? No, I'm not with that. Don't, hey, no, let me clarify the shirt. It's, it's, there's a, you see there's the asterisk. While I believe space exploration can make America great again, I do not endorse the president's views on the following. Race, economic policy, religion, science, history, education, basic math, trade, foreign affairs, domestic affairs, common decency, validity of the 2016 popular election. You're full of shit. I'm not, I'm, shit I'm not. You know what you're doing. Excuse me. I'm, I'm talking about, it's just the space thing. I want us to aim for space. It's the rest of the stuff that I'm, I could, well, have a good day. I feel like an asshole. I feel like an asshole. 
it's the perfect storm for like the left where like if you look back at the Apollo program, there was a lot of people who would say like, it's crazy. You would have to be crazy to think that you could do this incredible accomplishment while everyone on the left is trying to like study every bit of his expressions be like, well, technically I think he is crazy. Then you might say, well, then he's perfectly qualified <laughs> to get us to Mars. <laughs> this is how we got to the moon. It might be a crazy idea, right? But it might be so crazy it works. Yeah. So I think we so we we're, we wanted to do something around this, and mm -hmm. I think you started looking for stories. Like, what yeah. what was a way in? I was told that people had been reaching out to a Mars habitat in Utah, mm -hmm. um, which is a part of Utah I'd actually been to before for another shoot. Really? <laughs> yes. I went treasure hunting down there, and it was the worst <laughs> place I had ever been. Trust me, you would not have wanted to go to this part of Utah at all. There is no cell service for hours. It's in the middle of nothing, nowhere. Like it was. Uh, not a good time when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> and this was this was this is where a Mars habitat was. Yes, because we were at that point looking for like what what feels like the big story of right now. We're, we're hearing stories of uh, mm -hmm. Elon Musk of Bezos investing in this yeah. idea of can we get to Mars? Trump is talking about it. So we're like, wh where do we? Who's working on this? Who's yeah. working on it? And where, what can we show? So yeah. it's not just in theory. And it's cool. It definitely looks cool, but. It's so much cooler if you could go do that in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, from a producer's perspective, you're often looking yeah. at like, what is the story, but also where is Wait, the story? Where is yeah. it when we're filming in February? Yes. Yeah. And at that point, this is at the end of our filming, and we're all kind of like, oh, a Hawaii story? I'm, I'm listening. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah, about space? I get to talk to an astronaut, go to Hawaii? This, yeah. This feels like the story to tell. So I, I had found this other Mars habitat on the side of an active volcano in Hawaii um, that is owned by an eccentric rich guy who wants to create life on other planets, mm -hmm. like every other rich guy, actually. And the rich yeah. guys are leading the space race, or in conjunction with NASA, but you see Musk, you see Bezos, mm -hmm. you see Branson, They're, they all have their own private space program, they're funding this idea of potentially going to Mars, potentially going to the moon. So we were looking at this, and Hank Rogers yeah. is a fascinating character. Yeah. Not only is he's he, actually, I think, the world's most interesting man, possibly. He could like, be. Yeah. Because he made his money bringing Tetris to America. He did the first, like, I think, intellectual property deal with the USSR ever, mm -hmm. uh, and brought Tetris to America. Still owns the name Tetris, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and that was just the first fortune he made. Right. <laughs> yeah. He used that to continue to invest to make fortunes elsewhere. Yes. He was in the video game world. He's expanded. Now he's like in the clean energy game as yep. well. And like this episode didn't get to talk a lot about this, but he spent, he gave us, he gave us a, a good almost day showing us around. Yeah. And he is working on a lot of things, attempting to, to get Hawaii to go green, yep. uh, investing in a lot of technology, like so, he's doing a lot of a lot of interesting things <laughs> to finally get coal spewing <laughs> Hawaii <laughs> to go green. Oh, fine, yeah, this is, think a little uh, bit about nature, yeah. Hawaii, West Virginia, <laughs> Hawaii. So he lives there partially because yep. it's beautiful, but he, there's also a. Uh, uh, essentially a habitat that is on the side of a volcano um, that is incredibly remote, that is arguably uh, as close to what it would feel like to land on Mars as you could find on yeah. the planet. And they've been running for years. It was, it was owned by NASA, and then Hank... He owns it. He owns it now. I've figured out my missions in life. First one is end the use of carbon-based fuel. Mission number two is to end war. And space is the, is the third mission, and it's to make a backup of life on Earth. I love that number two on that list is end war. When you say make a backup, what does that mean? It means get life started somewhere else in a way that it's self-sustaining. I'm in the computer game business, or I was, 
You make backups. 65 million years ago, the dinosaurs went away. Why? Because they were too stupid to make a backup. You're blaming dinosaurs for not downloading their entire existence onto a little hard drive and saving it? I'm saying that we are as dumb as the dinosaurs if we don't make a backup. You got Bezos, you got Musk, you got Branson. They're all working on something. What do you got going on? Yeah, so all these guys are working on building airplanes, and I'm working on building airports. That's the way I look at it. You can't have an airplane without an airport. Musk is building that big plane. You're like, I'm I saying, I'm going to build you the landing pad. <laughs> this is your big dream, to build a LaGuardia in the sky. And how much is a bottle of water going to cost? <laughs> we, we're sort of delving into this idea of, do you have to be a little crazy? Do you ha And there's also a privilege in crazy. Yeah. Do you have to have that much money where you can be like, I can do anything. <laughs> I say this and it is done. Yeah. And you say that and there's an entire team behind you that is like, all right, now we have to make this happen. But is that the kind of crazy that gets you to space and gets you to uh, the moon or to create a habitat? Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. Uh, based on the fact that there was a Mars simulation colony in Utah mm -hmm. and on the top of a volcano in Hawaii, how much of the qualifications for a Mars simulation space do you think just has to do with the fact that the rocks need to be red? <laughs> I, I feel say, like it's nearly 90%. I, I feel like 90 that's to all 92%, they're looking at. Definitely. Because yeah. they're like, well, yeah. why is this a perfect simulation? We're like, I don't know, man. It's red. It's red rocks. Like, there's red rocks. When people get to Mars, they're going to freak out if they're like, oh, red rocks. <laughs> we haven't trained for this. There's a... There's <laughs> <laughs> Molly, Molly. What is this? Oh, go space crazy. You're taking a helmet. Ah! Oh, what are you doing? My what eyes are doing? Are oh, out. We need to train under the correct conditions of I'm red like a rocks. a dumb bull in space. <laughs> <laughs> so much of it is plain pretend, yeah. is what we realized. Yes. Where you're like, even we're, we're, we're in this habitat, and like you put on a mask, yep. you go through this, you have to make sure you close this door, open that door, yeah. give it time. And like you're doing it, and you're, <laughs> I would get chided for leaving doors open or what have you, which I get, but also there's a point where you're like, are we, we're just playing pretend up yeah. here. Yeah. And I, I know you are incredibly, you, 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 are, you, are, you are an incredible scientist, and you are thinking about the future of humanity, but it doesn't fucking matter if our camera guy leaves the door open because he needs to get this shot. He's going to be fine because we're on Hawaii, not on Wish. Mars. Ready to go to the surface of Mars? Yeah, why not? Okay, do you want to do the honors? Is it locked or? And now unlock it, yeah. All right. Hmm. Ladies oh, first. Thank you. Don't forget to close the airlock door. Oh, sorry. My bad. We got to close the airlock door. Everybody's dead. Do you want to introduce Michaela? I feel like she was. Michaela Musilova. Yeah. She's the mission commander at the habitat. Uh, it's, it's called High Seas. High Seas. Um, and she is an astrobiologist. So she, her ultimate goal, I guess, is to go and explore and find uh, life on other planets. Mm -hmm. um, and she's been with Hank for a few years. She was actually supposed to be in a year-long mission at the habitat. Mm -hmm. And there was an accident there. It, it on like day two, right? Yeah. And they canceled the whole year-long mission. Which, that's tough. I know. Yep. That's like a cruise ship and somebody ruins the bathroom right in port. <laughs> it's right off. The, it's before yeah, you get you're, off. You're yeah. still waving to people on shore and the bathroom is destroyed <laughs> and then you have to get towed back and 
Yeah. Sue yeah. Carnival. <laughs> well, I guess she kind of stuck around. <laughs> she did. She was like, I, I had a year blocked off in my schedule. Yeah, right. And so, uh, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> well I'll, yeah. I'll focus on the next one then. Uh, and so they've been in the process of kind of like making it a Mars and moon habitat, which I'm still a little unclear on how the, I don't know if they have to the paint rocks all the rocks. are the wrong yeah. color. Well, yeah. that, that yeah. is the funny thing because it was it was mostly Mars focused. Yeah. And what, what you are testing is remoteness, it's a, it's a it's a facility that's essentially going to lock you away for a long period of time, mm-hmm. and it has functionality that can simulate Mars or the Moon. And there's a mission control that you communicate to. Yeah. And I think part of the things that shift between Mars and Moon is quite literally how often you have to wait in between communications. That's hilarious. Yeah. That yeah. like they're <laughs> seeing if human beings in 2019 <laughs> can wait up to 15 minutes yeah. to yeah. receive a text yeah. back. You're yep. like you're like, like it's just going to be dot 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 <laughs> until a planet. So around the sun and you're like oh no yeah, like the please che- what's the answer oh, what are we getting for dinner oh my god yeah the, the cheaper simulation is sitting in front of a computer with like the pinwheel ghost yeah. and it's like is that guy gonna go crazy Just eight months of this it's like oh I got dial up oh no I got dial up I can't yeah. handle this I can't, I'm gonna eat you I'm gonna eat that person I gotta eat him why is your first resort cannibalism yeah. we have plenty of food so they test important things yeah. like that yeah. so at the very beginning you know most people don't know each other that well. I mean, you will go through training together, but there might not be really time to just sit around and chat. And you can't exactly do it over beers here, unfortunately, no, but... There's no alcohol? No alcohol, no drugs of any sort are allowed. You know, games are always fun. Different types of icebreakers, of course, games something... Games without alcohol? Yes. <laughs> One thing we did is we organized culture nights. Different person would present their, their country, their traditions, things like that. You want to trap them into friendship. Encourage them into friendship, not well, Whatever you want to call it. We, we were looking not only at, like, what would it take to actually get to Mars? And I think mm-hmm. there's, there's the incredible achievements of engineering that it would take, uh, a country coming together to, like, can you scientifically get there? But that was, we wanted to also look at, like, what would it take for a human to actually be the kind of person who would go there. And that was and the right stuff yeah. was a really interesting story uh, in the sense that like the Apollo missions up until that point they were taking, you know, fighter pilots. Mm-hmm. These these were pilots. They were, you know, if you can fly an F14, you can you're going to pilot this giant uh, I remember ship. the last time you told me. Let this, me tell you a little bit more. I was so <laughs> fascinated. At the time they didn't see themselves as pilots. They were actually they saw themselves as trained monkeys essentially. And so it was yeah, something where it was like are we really using pilots up there? Are we just sending these people like is there honor in just being a person who's in a tin can? And then that began to evolve, yeah. and you're breaking scientists, you're bringing up other types of people. So what does it take to, are you, do you need a military person, or you need a person who's just like really good at uh, talking to people? Right, and the question that is asked historically is, do you have the correct attributes? Right stuff. It's the right stuff. Yeah. Yeah, historically people mm. ask, do, do you, you have, have the absolute right correct stuff? attributes? No, this is, I, I, I gave you the book to read, Russ. I really think you should just take a look at it. Jordan, you, you are 6'1"? Oh, yeah. Four. Six four. Four one. Six six four. (laughs) So Jordan Jordan is a tall person. I am me and Lucy are about six feet. Yeah. And you I thought this was sort of the tragic element of this entire episode for all your childhood dreams. I think you were DQ'd from ever being an astronaut by the age of like 11. Yeah, I became... I, <laughs> you grew out of astronaut. I grew out of an astronaut into can he play like in the ABA? And then I... <laughs> it's like that. That's what happens. Yeah. It's like you astronaut and then ABA. And then no, I don't have the skill set for either. 
which I felt you take also that body and we went to space camp yeah, and space camp has yes. a few simulations space camp has got a, I always wanted to go to space camp I always wanted to go to space camp and it's it's an amazing complex mm-hmm. they have a 3G simulator they have a gyroscope yeah um, both of which made for much shorter people yes ma- made for not only <laughs> small astronauts but children and so <laughs> To be quite honest, I didn't fit or do well in any of those simulations. The, when just, we put you in the gyroscope, actually, the first time, you're, you were way too tall to fit in it. Yeah. And they're yeah. like, is this safe? And they're like, just slouch a little. Yeah, they just literally slouch. said, just yeah. slouch a little. Like, this is like, wait, what, slouch a little? Yeah. And then they whip your body around. And I was like, oh, God, he's going to break his neck. Oh, oh my God. And, or throw up. Yeah. 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 Yes, and lower back issues. Yeah. Like, it's, it does not feel good. The centrifuge simulates the environment that a fighter pilot or an astronaut may experience during flight. And it can reach up to 3.2 Gs. That's three times your body weight. So it's like if I had three clones bullying me and sitting on top of me at once. Basically. Here we go. Thank you. Lucy, it feels like you're like taking off. Yeah. We're picking up some speed now. We're headed towards three Gs. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I tried to play it cool. It was not the best interview I've ever done. What are some of the personal issues you'll have to deal with with extended space flight? I felt like I was choking down vomit most of the time during that interview, which is a unique sensation. I mean, I've had that a few times talking to folks from the NRA, but, but that was for totally different reasons. Their big fix is like, yeah. oh, I know exactly what you need. You should chew on some mints. And so they give me a bunch of mints to yeah. chew on. And then you were like, well, maybe sit in the car. Yeah. And I literally go to the car <laughs> and I just lie down in the car and eat mints for 45 minutes until we have to mm-hmm. go film again. Until your heartburn kicks <laughs> up. <laughs> <laughs> but the second thing they put you on, the gyroscope was not supposed to make you nauseous. Yes. They said it was just supposed to disorient you. Yeah. That, um, that seems like a very, which... very classy <laughs> distinction. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. no, no. You, you won't be nauseous at all. You'll just, just be, be completely yeah. disoriented. Yeah. And this is, this is a place where children go. Yeah. Which I'm like, what, what are we doing to our children? There were kids, like 150 kids screaming in the next room. Yes. Who had all ostensibly just done this thing. Well, I, yeah, I don't yeah. know if that's exactly true. What I was doing, the I think, was the more advanced yeah. person. No, when I was there the day before scouting, there was like 25 eight-year-olds. But then they turned on the adult it. settings for when I did it. And, and yeah. that was the experience that I had. Mm-hmm. The adult experience of going to space. Which I think is a dampener on that machine. Actually. No, yeah. I think no. Yeah. I, I did exactly what John Glenn did. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> I almost did throw up. I was with uh, Alyssa, and Alyssa is incredible. She's a seventeen. She's seventeen mm-hmm. right now. Seventeen. She's been training to be an astronaut since she was. She wanted to be an astronaut since she was three. Three. Yeah. And quite literally, like, she's been to space camp numerous times. Has flown all over the world to accumulate the type of resume that could um, make her an astronaut. You want to go to Mars? Pretty much. Yeah. Mars is the ultimate goal. You've already thought all this through. Yeah, got it, got it all laid out when I'm going to do what. So gain my scuba certification. I'm also working on my pilot's license to get some flight experience, microgravity training, spacesuit training, water survival, um, decompression, G-force, uh, geology training in Iceland. I can speak four languages, English, French, Spanish, and Chinese. I have my applied astronautics degree, so that was basically a certification for suborbital spaceflight. You're certified for suborbital spaceflight. Correct. I didn't even know you needed a passport to go to Italy. Wow. It's kind of important. 
She's uh, qualified for suborbital flight. Exactly. Which that's a qualification I didn't know you could get, let alone at seven. No, I don't know yeah. what that is on your license. I'm an organ donor. <laughs> no, I, I still don't have the guts to be an organ donor. <laughs> Like, I don't I know. Think, I, and didn't we learn that you have to get your kidneys taken out or something if you're going to go on a long you, space voyage? You, uh, uh, it's Tonsils and, and gallbladder. And then a little lift. Yeah. And the no gravity gives you a little oh, yeah, bit of yeah. that too. So. Well, that is the idea. It's the idea if you go on a Mars mission, which could be a three-year round-trip situation, um, you have to minimize any potential health risk because – what are you going to do? And so things like that. It's like, well, if you can just lose your gallbladder, uh, then you'll probably, then you're not going to have any gallbladder problems uh, a month and a half in. And I know she's, there was talk that she was considering that. Yeah. Uh, uh, either way, that's, that's far enough. She no, said she would she if, said, if approached to. First of all, if you're listening right now and you are yeah. approached by someone who asks you to remove your gallbladder, get a second opinion. Yeah, make sure you see a really official-looking NASA patch mm-hmm. on them before it. you schedule them. Yeah, I would even go one step farther. Just the patch is good enough. Jordan, if you – because uh, you would have to amputate or take off parts of your body that could potentially go south while in space. You have a foot problem. I think you might be yeah. the first peg leg astronaut. You would have to take that foot off for sure. I and I, I, I 100% would. As as loyal listeners of this podcast and or viewers of any of the things I've done on television, you probably know that I have weak bones and I have uh, brittle feet. Peanut brittle feet. Shatter pretty quickly. Good on the holidays. <laughs> I Bryce, it was you that said maybe my my desire to get into space was just to take a little pressure off my foot. And I don't think it's totally wrong. <laughs> and you did like being in the sling when you were like when we were at space camp and yes. you had no pressure on your feet. You were the, very happy about that. There's a sling portion, yeah. which again, when you feel like you're playing pretend and you're in a sling with a 17-year-old space camp and uh-huh. you're just hanging above it, you're like, is this am I am I telling an important story or am I just in a sling right now? And the answer is an important story. It's still an important story. So the sling and not the sparkly spacesuit was what made you question everything. I am remembering I was in a sparkly spacesuit <laughs> yeah. at that point. At that point you you're doing a comedy show, and when your costume designer is like, "Do you want a David Bowie type Starman outfit?" and you're like, There's "Yeah." No, that, that, is that that's that how came I, from you? I don't, that's not how I don't remember. Yeah, that. you were like Bowie. Everybody loves Bowie. I want to dress up as Bowie. I want to do the makeup, and I was like, "Well, we don't have any makeup." I want to do the makeup. <laughs> I, I think I thought artistically it'd be right if we if, if yeah. we were going to go Bowie. Yeah. We're, we're going Ziggy Stardust. You have to do the makeup. No, I know. I'm a I, man I of. I tried a, to get you to ditch it a, a few. You times. did. Do you get the reference? Like spaceman? Is that a thing? I'd say more Starman. If you're gonna see if there's life on Mars, I think this is the way to do it. You see this childish excitement about science, and we go to we go to space camp, and we see people, and we see Alyssa, who is inspiring about how mm-hmm. much she cares about actually doing something great, and I think that was really fun to see. Seeing Hank, who is a character and a half, like you, you see dreamers. Essentially, yeah. what we what we were watching is like a bunch of dreamers in Hawaii, a bunch of dreamers who all think kind of this big impossible dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think when you're down in Houston at space camp, and we also, that's when we met Scott Kelly yep. as well, like, you see that that dream is not as far off as you might think. You're, you're literally watching space shuttles. You're walking underneath rockets. And I think, like, it's both. It, it feels both ludicrous and remarkably tangible at the same time. I think that's actually how I felt about Hank overall. Just, I feel like he really switched in between being, like, really crazy and out there and then also kind of legit. Yeah. A theme that... Uh, 
under underlaid the episode. Maybe it doesn't surface in the cut, but I think it's there. Uh, <laughs> part of the breath of fresh air that looking at something like space was, uh, and think there's a scene where Alyssa describes sort of her plan. Uh, she's 17. She says, I'm going to be an astronaut when I'm like around 30, 32. Uh, and she had sort of given this long drawn out, uh, step by step incremental building of here's how I'm going to get from where I am now to where I want to be over years. And I think we had all had various different conversations, uh, about this piece throughout, uh, about like, we live in a time very much where it's like, what happened this second? How can I respond to that and kill that thing this second? How can I amplify this thing this second? And there's not a lot of long-term thinking at all. And to see people, whether they're scientists or whether they're 17 year old, like pre-astronauts thinking all the way this far in advance to do something great feels like such a breath of fresh air, like someone opened up a window and you're like, oh, right, if we can step out of these important but sometimes like almost intractable battles, we can find some other avenues where we can really dream big and really go for something and do something impressive together on a grand scale that doesn't have to be just as small as a tweet or as small as a soundbite or as small as some little culture war. Yeah, I mean, I think that it is funny. It feels so novel, this idea of like, pre-planning in a way that yeah. like it, it feels so remarkably refreshing to be like oh you have a you have a 10-year plan and that was a lot of the discussions we had this is when we fell in love with china i know exactly <laughs> like oh my lord not to go on a, another tangent here but like we talked about that book the fifth risk by michael lewis mm -hmm. which talks a lot about like uh american institutions and how there isn't a lot of forward planning or at least specifically with this administration that like things like the state department like uh, smaller departments are they're they're behemoths to move, but you have to think 10 years in advance. Right. If you don't, things fall through the craps and cracks and people die. We don't validate long-term thinkers right now. We live such in the moment. I think this was like an example to hear those stories and uh, get day drunk with an astronaut. That was the best part. And this is Kelly this when is, you guys were in Houston. Yes. This is, yeah, this is astronaut Scott Kelly who Scott spent Kelly. over 500 days yeah. in orbit. One of the longest ever for an American astronaut. Mm -hmm. So much so, like, because he does have a twin brother, yes. Mark Kelly, who's running for Senate in Arizona. Um, he stayed home. He's also an astronaut, but they've, because they are identical twins, they were testing the effects of zero gravity on a body. And I believe his DNA did officially change. He, he yeah. became a science experiment, a different person because he was in space <laughs> for a full year. We were in Houston. Yeah. We wanted to talk to an astronaut about his firsthand experience. Uh, and yeah, and you called him up. I called him up and we could have gone to this museum, but it, I knew it was going to be like overrun by children all day. And, and I was like, oh, well, we could go to a bar. And I was like, I, I hope he would say yes to that. And then I, I called him and he was like, oh, yeah, there's an astronaut bar literally up the street. Uh, it's where all the astronauts hang out. It's called Boondoggles. <laughs> I was like, Boondoggles. All right. I love that there is yeah. an astronaut bar. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's it's in your dreams, right? Yeah. In the right stuff, there is a bar that a lot of them go to. It is true, all right? It's a famous bar. It's no longer there. Anyway, Boondoggles yeah. is the one now. <laughs> oh, the other one burnt down. It did. Yeah. The other one burnt down. And mm -hmm. I mean, what's so funny with everything, it's like, you expect them, like, what is this astronaut bar going to look like? It's going to be rough and tumble. There's going to be old astronauts in the corner with, like, mm -hmm. um, five o'clock shadows. It's going to be like Mos Eisley Cantina. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in the end, it's like, like it's like a fun Irish bar. <laughs> it was in an alley, though, like, in the back. It wasn't something, like, you would see. Yes. It, there was, like, a river behind it or, like, a little jetty. It was very pretty in the back. It's by Johnson yeah. Space Center, yeah. essentially. And so, like, like anything. 
But you kind of have to know where it is, I think, to know where to go. But it's I think not, functionally yeah. the reason it's an astronaut bar is because it is close to Johnson Space Center, which is what I yes. think, like, for everybody when you dream, you're like, what is, what is the place? It's like, oh, it's the easiest place to get booze. <laughs> <laughs> and Johnson Space Center is in Houston, but it's so not in Houston. No. And but it, he was like, "This is where we go." And actually, yeah, be, a lot of people from NASA go, and we sit down and we order a space dust. Yes, which is a very high percentage IPA. Yeah, and it's eleven a.m. <laughs> it is. It's fucking breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are three beers in at breakfast. Like they? an eight percent IPA. What Scott said, he's an IPA guy. Yeah. He he likes it hoppy. Yeah. I like it hoppy yeah. as well. I've always dreamed of being an astronaut. I want to be inspired by the grandeur of space travel. And also get day drunk with a spaceman. Thank you. Space dust number two. That's right. Hoppy enough for it's you? It's hoppy. I like it. Yeah. What does American exceptionalism mean to you in light of our space program? Well, I think having a, a space program that is uh, robust, a space program that is visible to the world and the public, is part of the American brand. I think if we don't maintain it, it would be a disaster of a mistake because of how the world looks up to this country. When China lands something on the far side of the moon, that makes us you know, sit back and think, hey, should we be doing a little bit more? Maybe. Here's the funny addendum yeah. to it all. Like, I felt pretty cool. Honestly, yeah. it was. It, I love. I getting to sit down and have beers with an astronaut made me feel very cool, very virile, yeah. very on top of the world. Like a guy that I came home the next day and I bragged about. Like, this is what I do. I day drink with astronauts because I'm a man. And then my foot hurt the next day, <laughs> yeah. and I went to the podiatrist, and he told me I have gout. Oh. Uh, uh, I, I, <laughs> Space gout. Yeah. But but there with. Uh, uh, honestly, it was it was so we're, we're we're drinking, and I think what we wanted to honestly with this show, like yeah. I think wherever it can be experiential, and I think the the focus of this was like we don't want to just have a classic interview. Like let's let's talk and let's make it casual. Yeah. And I think like uh, Scott is wonderful and had such a unique experience. Um, but something that. I totally got out of that interview and loved about it is like sitting down and having somebody tell you what that experience of being in space like for like uh, step by step is. And I think we, we read a lot about a thing called the overview effect, which is this idea that if you go to space and you look back upon the earth, like it does change your frame of mind and your frame of reference. And there have been known effects of literally people seeing the planet as fragile and small can affect things like the way in which we treat the climate. And there has been like uh, Earth Day came out of that and like Green Deal have come out of the fact that the Earth has been something that people can tangibly see. But to hear an astronaut talk about what that experience is like to yeah. step out and, like, I found myself turning into a kid again. Like, even watching, like, the uh, the tape of it as we come back, like, I, there is nothing more engaging to me. Also, his kind of, like, curmudgeonly side mm -hmm. um, on top of that. Yeah. Like, he wasn't, like, it was majestic. Right. Like, he was like, yeah, it was hard to open that freaking hatch. And then when I got out there, I looked up, it was amazing, and then I just went and did my work. Like, he gave as much time to answering my questions about the beauty of Earth as he did to how difficult it is to defecate in space. Yes. Yeah, there was like, a lot of that. Yeah, so there's, a, there's, a, there's <laughs> you, you understand. Too, too much, Lizzie? No, no, no. I was more interested in the peeing in space, to be honest. Yeah. It, 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 it does ask bigger questions. He told us about peeing upside down yeah. in space, yeah, and being worried he's going to piss on his own face, but gravity <laughs> came to, not the lack of gravity came to the rescue. It's a worry that it we all have. Majestic. Yeah. It, it, it yeah. was majestic. It was majestic. I am here with Bill Nye. Bill, welcome. Thank you, Jordan. So good to be. It really is great to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. You have a, a fantastic new podcast out called Science Rules. Yes. 
I want to talk to you about something close to my heart. Your buttons. It is my buttons. Okay. <laughs> your wristwatch. This, I forget. This, this is, you're, you're a man who notices everything. You understand? Not everything, but I saw the buttons on the shirt. Not that I'm still... I have tremendous respect for you as a person, but it's not really my thing. <laughs> so that's fair. <laughs> I think we would hit it off. I want to talk about space. That's my thing. That is my thing. It's an exciting thing. I, I, so I did a, this whole season of doing a show. I go out into America. I, I, I've covered a lot of movements, a lot of actions. And uh, we hit a point where they're like, what is something where I can drop any cynicism? Because when you go out into the world, there's a lot of cynicism. There's oh, a lot sure of fighting. Oh, sure there is. Oh, yes. right. Yeah. <laughs> and what I found was, where I'm not cynical and I still have this sense of wonder, is it's still based in my childhood desire to go to space and then to America be an just to be an astronaut. And I got to talk to a lot of people about this. And the big question was, are we going to go to Mars? That is a good question. And what do you think? Are we going to go yeah. to Mars? So we at the Planetary Society, world's largest independent space uh, interest organization, did a study. We could get people orbiting Mars in 2033 without increasing the NASA budget if you just decided to do it. And the best or cheapest way to do it would be to have what we call international cooperation, where one country builds this, the other country builds, or one agency builds this, the other agency builds that. And you could do it, but it takes uh, overcoming this tremendous inertia in uh, every presidential administration. See, what, what we people lose sight of, and the, the Apollo 11 film is out, the new documentary. It's amazing. It's cool. It really is gorgeous. I mean, it's amazing. It's just beautiful. It looks like it was filmed by Stanley Kubrick. It's, it's, well, so, it's so gorgeous how so it's... So that's an interesting thing, not changing the subject. 2001, if you're picking science fiction movies, came the closest anybody's ever come. But that aside, what people forget, reckoned in 2019 dollars, the Apollo program cost about $151 billion, with a B. So when you say we're going to increase the NASA budget from $21 billion to $22.6 billion, that's good, but it's not on the same scale. And then people say, well, we have all these uh, launch pads built and all this infrastructure, 10 NASA centers around the country, but it's, it's just not the same. Uh, the scale of it, it's a factor of six mm -hmm. that we're missing. Should we invest that much into the space program? Is the idea of going to Mars, well, do you think that would have the benefits that, say, Apollo 11 had? Well, Apollo, everybody remember, the Apollo program was the Cold War. That's what motivated it. You could say, well, it's for science, for exploration, for humankind has the desire to reach farther and deeper into space and to know the cosmos, which is true. But it was to beat the Ruskies, our, at that time, our enemies, <laughs> our enemy. Yeah, as now, opposed to our collaborators. Yes, yeah, and our <laughs> election <laughs> ballot correctors. And so the scale of it is what I think a lot of people lose sight of. A 5% increase in the NASA budget is great. And NASA is not the only game in town. By in town, I mean on Earth. European Space Agency is quite large. Canadians have a space agency. Vietnam has a space agency. South Africa has a space agency because everybody realizes the value of weather prediction, situational awareness, a.k.a. spying, and, uh, and communications where you can broadcast or send information from one side of your country to the other. It's of great value. Space exploration has changed the world. And there are two questions, Jordan, that we all ask. Give them to me. Where did we come from? I've asked it. Where did we come? What the heck are we doing? And then are we alone? Do are we alone in the universe? Do you think we'd get that if we go to Mars? Well, here's what is very reasonable. Uh, 
is Mars had something alive, and it may still, because uh, Mars is uh, smaller than the Earth, so out there in the icy blackness of space, it cooled off faster than the Earth, about a billion years sooner than the Earth. You can get something done in a billion years, all I'm saying. And it had an atmosphere and an ocean before the Earth. Did life start on Mars before it started on Earth? Maybe, who knows? And so there's a hypothesis, which is fantastic, that Mars was hit with an impactor. You know, a they, dinosaur? Is that like a, a, a raptor of sorts? Uh, well, no, like an asteroid. Oh, like Armageddon again. Yes. Again, one of the most then, scientifically accurate <laughs> film you're ever yes. going to see. And then, you know, through a, a Hohmann orbit, these things came to Earth. You, you can buy Mars rocks online if you're motivated. And they're actual Mars rocks? Yeah, you, they... Uh, that they can, you don't fall for this, Bill. No, no, those, no. That, they land are, on Earth. Those. No, no. So uh, you look at the composition and the shock pattern in the rock, and then the other thing, you take it to Huntsville, Alabama, crack it open in a vacuum, and the little bubbles of atmosphere, bubbles of gas come out that match the Martian atmosphere. So these are Mars rocks. And there's an area I've not been, but in Antarctica, people call the budget space probe because you're walking along dressed warmly and there are rocks on top of the ice. Now, the ice is kilometers, miles thick. The only way for the rocks to get there is from space. So the Earth is hit with several, I guess estimates vary, 100,000 tons of dust every day uh, of interstellar dust, of asteroid bits. And so if life started on Mars, are we descendants of Martians is a cool question, a fantastic that, question. That's so a fun question. It really is. So we could send – now I'm at the Planetary Society. I took class, a class from Carl Sagan. I am a uh, – I understand that I was brought up with this tradition. But I would like us to design robots, rovers, perfectly tuned for looking for Martian microbes – and the Mars 2020 rover, which doesn't have a, a whimsical or charming, uh, engaging name yet, has instruments on it that will advance this a little bit. But I like to have a focused effort. The reason to send people is, first of all, it's just cool. It's just inspirational. The Soviet Union was driving around on the moon trying to bring Mars ro uh, moon rocks back before humans did. But when you get people there, that's when everybody gets, goes wild. And so it's also estimated, just technically, that what our best rovers or best science instruments, robotic science instruments on Mars can do in a week, a human geologist could do in about a minute, or certainly less than five minutes. Why is that? Just because the human instinct is going to know what to look well, for, just essentially? Have, yeah, and uh, actually literally move quicker and uh, don't have this remote problem of a seven-minute radio delay. So you put in artificial intelligence to have it drive around rocks and stuff, but looking for rocks and knocking them open and um, finding out what's inside, a human just has judgment. So it would just be something else to find uh, a layer of fossilized bacteria on Mars or uh, Mars crobes, as I like to call them. And what if there's something still alive under the sand? You know, wherever there's dampness on Earth, there's something alive. People throw around numbers. You know, there's a million viruses on your face. <laughs> and so Those are the worst people, by the way. Well, well, we, are, we have immune systems for most of them. So it would really be extraordinary. And I claim it would change the course of history. It would be like Copernicus 
showing, well, if you really are proving that if you really want to find where Jupiter is in the night sky, you ought to think of Jupiter going around the sun, not the other way around. And, oh, no, we, you, we can't publish that. You'd, uh, we'd have to kill you. And then Galileo, you know, I took this military telescope, you know, which they had for looking at the guys on the other hill before you shot your arrows at them or whatever your uh, Game of Thrones thing you were doing. And, <laughs> but he took it and looked at the moon. Hey, the moon's not really a perfect circle. It's full of, well, we have to, you, you can't leave the house for the rest of your life. Okay. <laughs> but it changed it changed the world. It changed the way everybody thought about being alive. And I, I claim that a, a discovery of life on Mars would be, it would just change the world. The other logical places are Europa, the moon of Jupiter, with twice as much ocean water as Earth. And then uh, Titan, this moon of Saturn, which has, has great promise. It has geysers that squirt into space. And so this, this, this kind of exploration is done for a song. Planetary science at NASA is $2 billion a year, two point something billion dollars a year. That's a lot of money, but it's not that much money. At European Space Agency, it's a third of that or a tenth of that. It's still a huge amount of money, but compared to what the federal budget is or a European 16 country budget is, is nothing. And it could change the course of history. So that's what we advocate for at the Planetary Society. What do you think? So as I'm somebody who's not the largest fan of our commander-in-chief. Really? Yeah. You know, I've heard you mention that. He's he's done some things. He might not be the best president we've ever had. Now, uh, really? I don't. There, that's 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 a outlandish he's... opinion that a comedian uh, has. But uh, I'm not a big Trump fan. One thing he did say, which which was comical in its assertion, but I but I was inspired by it, was he talks about going to Mars as a vanity project. And he said he would throw as much money as anybody needed to get there if we could get there before the next election, so which is fast. He wanted to go to the moon. <laughs> he wanted to the moon. Four for, and a half years. Yes. All right. And so, by the way, out there in the world of space explorers, there's moon people and Mars people. We must go to the moon to learn to live in space. We must. It's a proving ground. And then other people, you don't need to go to the moon. Let's go to Mars. We waste time at the moon. The moon is, has a lot of gravity. So if you land on the moon, you have to build a big rocket to get back off the moon, blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, are those two separate camps? They really are, yeah. Fist fights in the exploration bar. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, going to the moon in four and a half years sounds like a cool thing. And, you know, it would mean ignoring spending caps, which Congress has been more than willing to do. So, okay, but this, they just had a big announcement of adding $1.6 billion to the NASA budget, which is, that's good. 5% is good. At the planetary side, we've advocated for 5% for a long time, but it's not on the scale of Apollo. And the other problem that has to be solved, you guys, so what, for political reasons... Uh, the whole thing is based on the space launch system, the SLS, which is a rocket. It's another name for a big rocket being built in Rocket City, Huntsville, Alabama. And it's built there because a lot of rockets were built there over the years. That's where Werner von Braun lived for a long time. And uh, meanwhile, you all, everybody hears about SpaceX and Blue Origins, Jeff Bezos' com company. They're going to do stuff on their own. Uh, but all of the capsules and docking 
things and hardware and this proposed lunar gateway. And gateway is a whimsical term for another spacecraft. That would be an orbit around the moon, the way the International Space Station is in orbit around the Earth. Um, these are all based on this diameter and this system and these electrical connectors associated with the space launch system. So you can't just go get hardware. It's not like you go on the internet and get another rocket booster that happens to fit. It's just not like that. So the political problems are very difficult. And, uh, and then the money and the proposal was to, take the, to get the $1.6 billion from Pell Grants. Okay. <laughs> uh, see, the Pell Grant money is set aside. Some of it's not spent. Okay, but you guys, that's just, it's, as they say, bad optics. It's an absurd idea to ask for the amount of money it would take to push us to a place like Mars. Do you need somebody who has absurd like thinking, like a Donald Trump or somebody who has. Or Elon Musk. Yeah. What's it, or, or an Elon Musk. Do you have to be. Do you need somebody who's crazy to. To set the sights that far? Well, or you need just the Chinese Space Administration to decide they're going to the moon. So we just need competition. That might be, that's what happened last time. Everybody, just keep in mind, when you watch the movie, it was the Cold War. That's why all that stuff got done. So we just need to get rid of the, the fact that China landed on the far side of the moon, uh, the dark side of the moon. It's not really dark. It's not dark? Only, uh, yeah, it's the far side. That's not, I've I listened to a very specific Led Zeppelin album. And no, no, it makes I think it, it was uh, uh, Pink Floyd. Floyd. Armageddon, have you seen Armageddon? It was Pink, it's Pink Armageddon. Floyd, no, I've, not, not Led Zeppelin. I'm kind of a man who's sticky about his facts, and it was a Led Zeppelin album. <laughs> yeah, Led Zeppelin album made very clear the that there's a dark you side. Be, you're sticking to the wrong Yeah, the mirror. dark side <laughs> of the moon. <laughs> So the moon is far side of the moon is dark half the month. Right, that's the that's the first part of the album. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? What do you, what do you what do you think of what do you think of Elon Musk? What do you think of all of the private billionaires? I've trying had to lunch get there? with Elon Musk. I gave him a ride to the airport once. He's not my best friend or anything, but wait, he's a motivated you, guy. Wait, you, wait. You, you gave him a ride to the airport? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm the head of the planetary side. He, oh, he, I, mean, he, I travel in this little world. I, I, you're a cool guy. I'm, oh, not, yeah. I'm not saying you oh. don't have the legitimacy to do it. I'm saying as a man who owns a car company. Well, this was before his car company was especially huge. <laughs> He's like, I'm working on a car company. Could you give me a ride? Yeah, uh, that's how it went, man. <laughs> I took him from a restaurant in Santa Monica, California to LAX. This is a long time ago, but it's a true fact, not a false fact. He, Not a Conwayzie, in fact. He seems like an inspiring guy. Oh I, man, he's big a dreams. visionary. Yeah, yeah. Do you but think- he is, you know, he's odd. His relationship to the. Securities and Exchange Commission is not one I would not embrace. <laughs> yeah, did, yeah, did you give him? Do you give him much advice on the, the no, financial no, end? No, no. <laughs> but I just wouldn't mess with them. No but, need to mess with them. When you look at Blue Origin, Richard Branson is playing around in the game. Elon Musk with SpaceX. Are any of those? Do you feel uh, the next step to getting to a place like getting back to the moon or getting getting to absolutely? Mars? Oh yeah. So you guys, the Falcon rockets are fantastic. The SpaceX rockets are fantastic. So we had an analysis at the Planetary Society that, well, SpaceX couldn't break even on this reusable booster. You know, this is where the rocket goes up and then lands again, either at Cape Canaveral on a, uh, a parking lot or on a, this drone ship, a motorized barge. Not a barge, it's a drone ship. Okay. So, you know, that's a big thing with them. So, in other words, you recover most of the booster, most... And we said, well, he'd never break even unless they got to 30 a year. Well, they're kind of getting to 30 a year. 
And it's just long-term investment, and that vision is just really something. So uh, at the Planetary Society, just if I may remind you, we're going to be launching our second solar sail spacecraft, no earlier than, that's NASA talk, NET, no earlier than the 22nd of June, Saturday the 22nd. Come on down. You can sit in the bleachers with me. I know a guy. You can get a seat. You can get me a seat? I can get you a seat, and it really is spectacular. It's amazing. There's everything, everything shakes, your hair shakes, your eyes shake, and the thing goes up and it goes over the top, as we say, it turns and goes into orbit. And then these two boosters come down and land like helic, like science fiction. It's just amazing. And so bear in mind, everybody, that you know SpaceX is competing with NASA. Not really. NASA buys rockets from SpaceX. You know, and the it's this quotation has been attributed to a couple different people, but I remember it as being Alan Shepard. And if it's not Alan Shepard, I apologize. But he's walking on the moon, and he says, "You know, it's good to realize that we came here on hardware built by the lowest bidder." <laughs> it's just a charming turn of phrase. Along this line, all the money that's spent in space is really spent on Earth. NASA buys rockets from these guys. That's why. That's how they stay in business. The Air Force spends a lot of money on rockets. If you're in this world, there are extraordinary number of rocket launches every month that most of us just don't, aren't aware of. Military, all these communication satellites, weather satellites, and you know, many of them, I mean, it might even be most of them are commercial. Most of them are commercial, yeah. I sat down with Scott Kelly and talked a little oh, bit cool. about uh, the overview effect. The overview effect. Apparently, astronauts get in space and they get wigged out at how... Beautiful the earth is, no political boundaries. We're all in this together. Get over it. It's cool. It's kind of a nice thing. I think when, when, you, when you look at the political landscape right now and hear about uh, that kind of perspective, you yearn for something like that. And it would be pretty fun to go to space. So I applied to be an astronaut four times, but it was a different era. How many PhDs do you have? Yeah. A, 100 to 300. It's like, who are you? how many marathons have you run this week? And it's just like, who are these guys <laughs> and gals? They're just overachieving maniacs. More power to them. And maybe we need those kinds of smart people on Earth to help out as well. So engineers, renewable electricity, clean water, access to the Internet, solve the air transportation problem. Let's go. Let's get her done. Let's get her done. Also, subscribe to Science Rules. Science Rules, Mitcher, uh, Stitcher, <laughs> Midroll, Mitcher, Stidroll, <laughs> Stitcher, Midroll. Turn it up loud. Thank you, Jordan. <laughs> Thank Clever. you, Bill Nye. If you like listening to this podcast, you're going to like watching it even more. So go check out Klepper. It's on all of your devices, including your television. Go check it out. Thank you for listening. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.